everybody to a super bonus episode of Jam Transmissions. Um, you can probably hear a little bit of background noise. We, um, I do have a guest with me. You're going to find this out in a second. Or if you've seen the episode title, you already know what's going on. But I'm currently at C2E2 in Chicago, uh, my home and uh, my home convention. We've had a great time. Got to hang out with John Jackson Miller yesterday. Got to hang out with Charles Soule today. Got some stuff signed. My um, Boba in Disguise Black Series. Guys, the pictures are going to be up on Twitter. You know where to find all of that stuff. But today, I'm sitting here. We're in this family VIP lounge. There's lots of people that are looking at us like, yo, what are those two knuckleheads doing? Nobody's looking at us. I'm just kidding. Um, but I do have a guest here, and I'm so grateful that we got to work this all out. There's some crazy text messaging today, but I have with me Star Wars author, which I'm sure is still pretty amazing to hear, uh, and my new convention buddy, Marco Shiro, author of Star Wars Hunters Battle for the Arena, is sitting to my left, and I'm so excited. So, Mark, how are you doing today? I, I'm so happy to be out in the world. I haven't done a comic-themed convention in, I don't remember, pre-pandemic. It had to be mm-hmm. 2018, 2019. Um, so just be out amongst my people to get to talk books, to get to talk Star Wars and many other things with you. You know, I'm, I'm just happy. I'm just very happy. You sound like it. You look like yeah, it. I'm very happy. Yeah, it, it's been a crazy weekend so far. This mm-hmm. is day two of C2E2. We've got one more day left. Now, you're just here for the day. Um, you had a panel and a signing. What was the panel that you did earlier? So this year is the 20th anniversary of Tortine, and Tortine is who publishes my young adult novels. Um, and so it was a bunch of Tortine authors uh, talking not only about our publisher, but just being nerds and how we incorporate that into our work and why it is important that we are all still writing genre fiction in particular because as many as you know genre fiction is still looked down upon despite how pop i mean that's the wild thing like looking around this and i'm just like still we're still people are still holding this opinion when this is look what genre fiction has done for the world so you know, it was it was wonderful and getting to see you know, and with the exception of one person on panel, I knew everyone too, so it was like getting to see friends again, mm-hmm. and we had a wonderful conversation. It was just, just God, it, today's been great so far. Yeah, it is weird to talk about the genre writing specifically being something that's maybe looked down a lot, you know, kind of ostracized a little bit. When you look at a room or the space that we're in here with C two E two, it's a sold out day. There's some crazy cosplay down yes. there, some amazing things, some Chainsaw Man stuff we saw down there. I saw a dude with his butt cheeks hanging out as Cammy from Street Fighter. My man, like, good for him. I got pictures. I'll show you, Mark, in a little bit. My man was good for him. I mean, yeah, he, he he made a choice, and good for him. Total commitment. Total commitment. commitment. Um, but let's talk about. Since we don't have a, a ton of time, let's talk about some of the Star Wars stuff. Obviously, there's a ton of stuff going on here for Star Wars. Yeah. Today, as we're talking, there's a Clone Wars panel in a little bit for the 15th anniversary of the show. Ashley, Sam, James Arnold Taylor, and Matt Lancher are there. Um, we're, my son and I are hopefully going to be able to make it over there. But specifically for you, uh, you wrote Star Wars Hunters Battle for the Arena, which I loved. Thank you. I blew through the book in a day. Reeve as a character. Loved her. J3DI, amazing. Um, they, the, the mystery of the book, uh, I, I'm, we're not going to get any spoilers for that because I want people to go out and read it. Go buy it and read it, guys. It is so much fun. Um, but what I want to know first is, um, how did this even happen that you got asked to write a Star Wars book in the first place? Because for a lot of people, it seems like that's almost a glass ceiling for some people. It really is. Um, and I know for a lot of us growing up in the nerd space or whatever, 
that's something that we all attain to as creators is to somehow be involved with Star Wars in an official sense. And you've got to do that so yes. far. You've gotten to do that. So twice, twice that's right. You twice did have now. a story in from a certain point of view, um, and uh, which is also great, by the yeah. way. Um, so walk me through the process. How does this work? Do you call them? Are you knocking on the door, or do they get a hold of you? No, and, and it, it's definitely not a thing that I had any control in because I have been yelling online for years to like, come on, Lucasfilm, let me write a Star Wars mm-hmm. book. So the way it happened was, um, and now I'm blanking on his last name, Tom, who is the editor of the, the, the Certain Point of View book. Darth Internus online, yes. yeah. Darth Internus had reached out to my agent to ask if I'd be a part of the Empire Strikes Back one. Mm-hmm. How my name got to Tom, I have no idea to this day. I suspect it was my bestie, my work wife, Zoraida Cordova, who wrote A Crash of Fate. That's how I think so, but we don't know. Yeah. And I'm actually okay never knowing. It was the force. Yeah, it, it was the force. force. The force got me there. So Tom reached out, the second fastest I've ever said yes to a project. Okay. You know, got to pitch. I got very lucky because I was asked so early in the process, almost nothing had been claimed from a certain point of view. So I pitched immediately Winrow Hood from Empire yeah. and someone had gotten it five minutes before of me course, yeah. and, but I had a backup when I was ready and I was like I want the Wampa I want the Wampa I have had an obsession with this character for since I was a child you know I grew up on the original trilogy have stayed a Star Wars fan this whole time and so pitched the story to Tom and he was like okay sure wrote it and genuinely believe they're not going to let me do this they're yeah. not going to let me do a story that is basically a metaphor for gentrification in the Star Wars universe and Tom was just so gung-ho for it and was like, yes. Mm-hmm. And in fact, just asked me to lean even more heavier into it where some of the more details where we did world building about Wampa family structures, that was all Tom being like, go, keep yeah. going this direction. So, you know, it was after that was published that uh, Jen Jennifer Heddle at Lucasfilm read the, uh, read the story, enjoyed it, and reached out to my agent and was like, I have a middle grade project that I think Mark will be put for. That is the quickest yes. The other one was like a few hours because right. I like saw it and was like doing something. But once it was a book, I was I didn't... And here's the thing. I said yes and I didn't know what it was. Oh. Because this is my dream. Like, it is the dream of every Star Wars fan to get to contribute to canon. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had a meeting, found out more about it, found out that it would be dual IP or dual intellectual property because it's both a Star Wars book and um, a Boss Alien video game. So, you know, the way that the process worked was I was brought on, I had that meetings, I got to meet the Boss Alien team. I am one of the few people who has played the game. And it is so good and so well done. And the beautiful part about it was they were like, you here are the eight characters who are in it. We want Reeve to be the main character. Mm-hmm. It has to be set on this planet. The arena has to be involved. What do you want to do? And so I took a week, came up with three different pitches. Mm-hmm. I will say after the fact, the, Lu- the Lucasville team definitely was like, we knew which one was your favorite. Um, <laughs> and it was it was the one that became the book. Right. And it, it, from the beginning was very much both this character running from their past. I wanted to write someone who, a main character who was had a little bit of self-loathing going on. And I had never done that as a creator Mm -hmm. Um, and I knew I wanted a mystery element and so I pitched the mystery that is in the book Mm -hmm. Um, and when I tell you it was one of the most creatively fulfilling experiences and I and I know this from other Star Wars creators too that that story group and Lucasfilm in particular give so much creative freedom to writers and they let me I still, I mean, I know we're going to talk about some of those things. I still cannot believe what they let me put in a Star Wars book. 
and it was so yeah it was you know we we went through an outline had to go through both the boss alien and story group to make sure things were not only canon but just also you know jen heddle herself was so helpful in developing the pacing of the stories mm-hmm. i really wanted it to move quick but still have introspective moments because as thinking for middle grade readers i was like i really like writing the emotional stuff so i wanted there to be this emotional core for reeve and she helped me figure out the balance of it the wild the wildest part of this story is we took and I, this is no blame place. We took so long to get that outline approved because we were going through so many people mm-hmm. that I had like three weeks to draft the book. Okay. I checked myself into a hotel in Long Island City. I was still living in New York. I wrote the first draft of that book in five and a half days. We've never done that before. We'll never do that again. Like did, it was. Did you sleep? It, I checked myself into a hotel that had room service. It was literally, <laughs> they, I would order food it would, and I was writing 14, 15 hour a day. Good Lord. And... And so I think there's an element of the book why it is a little unhinged is because of that. And I love it. I leaned into it. And I'm very proud of what I pulled out of nothing. Like, pulled out of nothing. Um, and so, yeah. And then the editor... Oh, God. Working with Story Group is the cool... It is... If you've... I'm sure you've heard everyone is right. It is the coolest thing. It's like these immense super geeks who love Star Wars, who... Ha- they're like collaborators. Right. Like they work with you to make the story better, to get the details right, which was really important to me too. And also very scary as a Star Wars I fan. I can imagine, yeah. Like you love, I love this property so much. I don't want to write something that doesn't feel like the Force, that doesn't feel like it exists in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, yeah. Um, while at the same time, like being like, I want to do something a little different, just a little. And finding that balance, that team was so immensely helpful. Well, I can imagine when well, you're you're surrounded by these people who obviously they're gigantic fans of the yeah. thing being in story group, but they're also there has to be like a slight bit of intimidation and <clears throat> something that I think kind of resonated within the story itself. And this is something that I really, really gravitated to. And, and one of the things that I want to talk about in terms of the book um, with Reeves characterization there's this outsider feeling of it, right? Yes. And coming into the story as a new author, I mean, you, yeah. did, you did the short story for a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back, but now you get this book. You're brand new to the world of, of um, this creative process for Star Wars. So I'm sure maybe you had that outsider peeking behind the curtain for the first time mentality, and Reeve is very much in that world too. She's discovering herself. She's, like you said, she's running from something in her past, but she's also teetering on the edge of her own personal acceptance yes. right and i think for you and i specifically uh because of something that we we have in common this is kind of how we listeners how we started talking uh we are both massive punk rock fans yeah. right we both grew up in this world you got tattoos i don't have any tattoos <laughs> right i got one tattoo on my yeah. heart basically yeah. and it's, it's, it's punk rock um and that outsider mentality uh, and, and I want to say this maybe, in, and I don't want this to sound kind of gatekeepy, but like it's almost more now getting involved with punk rock seems to be like it's a genre. It's something that's more accessible. Mm-hmm. People like if you go back. I mean, like the culture here at C2E2 too. Exactly. I remember these things like liking Star Wars was not you a getting beat popular up thing yeah. when I was growing it was, up. It was the same thing growing up in punk rock. If you were a punk rock kid in the in the 80s, mm-hmm. probably, you know, early 90s still, it was a, something that wasn't really like, oh, you're a punk. Yeah. People, you know, you, you fag or, you know, pardon my words, yeah. but like, that's what you heard if you were straight or not. Like, just, you got looked down on by just other people. Now, again, Reeve is coming into this world. We both know what it's like coming into this world. 
how much of your experience is manifest in Reeve as a character? Oh, wow. Uh, so, and it's, it's so interesting because where Reeve's story came from initially was actually a logistical thing because we knew that this was a project where all the characters are adults, but it's for kids. Right. So one of the early struggles that we had was, well, how do we keep this middle grade? How do we make this relevant to kids who are 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old? Mm-hmm. And so that's why I was so insistent on the story that I wanted to write was about her being an outsider because I said that at that age you were starting to be aware of the world and aware of your place in the world mm-hmm. aware of social roles all of these things what's a better story for a kid that age than one where you feel like you're the odd one out and so it came from that place and then it was with Jen's Heddle's insistence that I did start leaning in on the personal stuff of being mm-hmm. the odd one out uh, both through music and then also the experience um, which I hope we'll talk about too with uh, coming from a traumatic past right. so I, I, I had these two things that were very dear to my heart and that I knew from experience and again was like I think this is the gamble I want to take I want to see if I can put a version of punk rock into Star Wars mm-hmm. and I want to see if I can have an experience with the force that maps over PTSD mm-hmm. And so those were baked in from the beginning. The execution of them took a few tries. Like, I remember a lot in the early manuscripts, just how do we keep this Star Wars-ish, and how do we keep this in the middle grade space? And it was just a very delicate balance. So it is very personal. I mean, I didn't do... When you eventually get to the flashback of what what Reeve is running from, like, that's not... (laughs) I wish kind of that that was my experience. Like, secretly had the Force, you know. But she is a character who, from the beginning is aware of her force abilities but has never been taught and it's almost a stigma to her like why do I have this I don't I don't like the way people treat me when I reveal that these are real these are not this is not just a show right all of that stuff is me thinking you know trying to get back in that well of middle grade when I was in junior high school and what did it feel like when I was so in my case I was taller than all the other kids I was this abnormally gigantic kid um, and it's fun I do school visits and I show a photo of me in middle school and they're all like you look like a grown man in that photo I'm like yeah I, it was that was one of the main reasons I got bullied yeah and so it was thinking of it in those terms and hoping that as younger people read this story that that line of experience reaches through the Star Wars universe through this fantastical magical story and it's like a thing that a kid can be like, wait, I know what that's like. So yeah, it was it was it was definitely something that was very personal from the start. And I think leaning into that, at least for me, I felt like that's what made Reeves' character stand out a little bit more. Was is it, it was okay to draw from that personal space? Right. I think when we get into like the realm of storytelling, and I know for myself, I was writing for a while. I've, yeah. I've since stopped just because I have a family now and time and things. I was published. I did have a short story published a long time ago. Well, just before my son was born, actually, so we're 14 years ago now. Um, and I know for myself, the idea of trying to write something personal as metaphor almost can be almost more difficult than if you're just mapping out just a regular story. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why is how do you make something so personal feel universal? Yeah. Right? So you, you, want, you want to get those points across to people so that it's not just, well, I don't, this never happened to me, so I, like, I, I can't relate to this. Yeah. But there's something inherent about the way Reeve, as this coming-of-age story, as this kind of self-discovery, this self-acceptance story, and also this yearning for acceptance mm-hmm. of others, um, reaches that universal core yeah. that a lot of people, 
even I think in just in a normal day-to-day setting, everybody kind of struggles with, you know, you start a new job, you do, you get into podcasting, you start writing, whatever yeah, it is, absolutely. all of these things become a label of who we are through profession, through likes, dislikes, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think Reeve through this book, because of the trauma, uh, which set her back a ways from that, from that self-acceptance, it really shines through. And I think for, for younger, I'm saying this as a 45 year old man, younger readers are not going to have any problems um, finding the universal kind of message of the book, which I loved. Um, Well, let's talk about the trauma experience because I want to talk about how that relates to some choices that Reeve makes um, maybe a little bit later on in her life. So we find out in the book that she's essentially running from something that happened in her past. I cannot give that away because it's a big spoiler. But um, the trauma experience for her is something that changes her life in a way that uh, challenges her identity, we'll say. Um, and a lot of that has to do with uh, her work with the Force and things like that. Cause she's not she's not a Jedi, no. right? But she does have Force abilities, and that becomes a trait uh, for her in the arena space that is something that they want to... Like, there's an exploitative nature about it, Absolutely. right? It, it is very... Um, uh, it's very uh, do the magic hand thingy, you know. Uh, kind it's, of speaking of the Mandalorian, you know. It you know? It's, it's actually one of the things we were thinking of as an inspiration was the way things are exaggerated in professional wrestling. Exactly. Like coming from that space of this may be a real trait of who you are as a person, but we're going to exaggerate it for dramatic effect in the arena. I'm glad you said that because when I talked to my son about this book, I told him that the arena was very professional wrestling. Yeah, absolutely. So, 100%. Yeah, that is absolutely what we were thinking of like right. from the from the get-go. So now her trauma experience gets her to this place where now she's in this arena, she's basically fighting for money, yeah. right? And her trauma follows her, um, both in literally in the arena sometimes where she has a hard time manifesting the strength of what it is she feels she needs to do or just to put on the show and to use like some forced terminology to let go and just be in the moment Um, and I think again talking about the universal nature of how these things happen like we talk about traumatic experiences for people that where you can freeze up you can be in a moment where um, you don't know how to act because you're afraid of what might happen how people are going to think about you Um, and again like being that this is geared for younger readers talk about why it's important for kids to know that that's something that can be overcome Oh, gosh. Oh, gosh. What a great question. The, the thing with, with Reeve that I was sort of very cognizant of as, as I was writing her and as we were doing the edits and whatnot is that this is a character who actually, and you brought this up too, who actually very much wants to be accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, but when you have dealt with you know, trauma in your childhood, one of the most difficult things to deal with, and, and this is speaking from a very personal place too, is that a lot of people who've been through trauma isolate to protect themselves. Absolutely. Because something happened that caused them to not trust one person or many people or all people. So Reeve is deeply untrustworthy of everyone that she meets. She's always waiting for the other shoe to drop. So she gets in this arena, excuse me, with all these other fighters who get the notion of teamwork and understand like, and it's teamwork for a performance. Right. And her brain is like, no, I don't trust any of you. And it's like, oh, well, okay, maybe you could not trust them, but let's make that a performance. But she doesn't, she struggles very much with like understanding like what is a performance, what is real. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so I was also thinking of this idea that 
the for me the one of the best ways to begin to sort of address the stigma of mental health we have to talk about it you can't i think about what it would have meant to be in middle school to be in high school and understand all of these feelings i was feeling are actually very natural reactions to things that were happening in my life Mm -hmm. but instead what i was internalizing is you're a weirdo no one's ever going to really truly be friends with you and that was i I isolated constantly and like anytime a friendship got difficult i was like oh no i don't need to do this so you know with reeve here's the thing i love that you talk about universality because i i think Exactly. Thank you. There's lots of kids around. It's great. I think there is this mistaken idea that universality has to be general, but I think the most specific things are the things that often can feel universal. So maybe you don't understand exactly Reeves' experience with trauma, but I think a lot of people understand, like, it's hard to make friends. It's hard to be the new person. And so for me, I wanted to make sure... That even though Reeve makes some horrible, like she makes some of the messiest decisions I've ever written as, as confirm, a character, that you still feel for her and you see why she's making these decisions. And for me, I want people, even if they can't understand her journey, to be able to empathize and understand why it's happening, where it's coming from, and how that does lead, lead her on a path towards healing. You know, without saying she's healed, like everything's fixed and there's a bow, but that she can be on a journey towards feeling better about herself and the world. You used a word, and I'm glad you used it because I was going to bring it up, the word empathy. And I think for a lot of people, when you do find yourself in the outsider setting, if you're being bullied, if you you have a hard time finding your your tribe, so to speak, um, the one thing that you want more than anything else is empathy. You want people to understand how you feel. Um, And that's not to say that um, other people, you know, should automatically understand you. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. a, it, it's a two-way street a lot of times, but a lot of times what people, and I know this what this is what happened with me, and maybe we have a similar experience, sometimes it just takes one person to say, come hang out, let's go do this thing, let's go... Uh, yep. Let's go check these bands or something like that. And it and it changes your whole perspective and it changes your world. And Reeve has that with the, you know, it's it's a, a very common theme for Star Wars with the found family nature of what the other arena fighters <clears throat> become for her. Um, and I know, again, for myself, I did have some older friends, some friends of my brothers who were maybe a year older than him. When I was younger than my son now, he's 13, I was maybe 10 or 11, and they were saying, they might have been 15 at the time, they were saying, hey, listen, there's this place out in the suburbs, we grew up on the south side of Chicago, so we drive out to the suburbs to Homewood, Illinois, and go to a little all-ages club called Off the Alley, and I was, and this is probably like around 1990-ish, maybe a year or two after that, um, and we would just see the freaks and the weirdos and all of the other outsiders were there being freaks and weirdos and outsiders together and that was the first inkling for me after a traumatic experience guys i've talked about this before my dad passed when i was very young that's kind of like that's my origin story for all of this but it did take you know one or two people just to say like listen get out of the house let's go do this thing together if you don't like it we'll leave you know kind of stuff and we went and we saw punk rock shows. Yeah. And there's a moment in the book that I want to talk about specifically because you mentioned the introspective moments, right? Yes. And this is one of the things that I related to the most with Reeve is that in the loudest and most chaotic setting, oh, yes. she found her quiet, right? Yes. I used to write 
at a punk rock bar that I worked at yeah. when I was in my early 20s and in, in my late teens. Guys, let's, talk, let's not talk about that. Um, <clears throat> and I would sit at the bar, and it was loud. And in between when I was DJing or whatever, I would sit and write. And it was just noise and chaos and smoking and drinking and fights sometimes. And it was, it was the most... It was the most I ever felt I belonged yeah. um, when in, in the din of all of that sound. And Reeve has this moment. She goes to this. She literally goes down an alley, yeah. right? So I'm about off the alley again. And uh, she she essentially stumbles in, in a punk show yeah. in Star Wars, right? Now, wh- after I finished reading the book, I didn't want to say anything specific as to what it was, but I just tweeted out... Um, Something about gonk rock. I don't want to say specifically what it was because it, it, it was a comparison and maybe it's not fair. But I love the idea of gonk rock and Star Wars. Um, and it, I mean, it is a one to one, right? Essentially. Yeah. But I love the basis, like the, the explanation for why it's called gonk rock. Oh, yeah. Um, you, I've, I've been talking for a long time. So I want you yeah. to come talk. Where oh, my God. Um, oh, I, I, it is a combination between me and one of the story group writers and I want to say his name is maybe Matt and of course I'm going to probably get it wrong I'll probably send it to you once I go back through emails I'm, I'm going to correct you because I know it's Matt Martin because he's 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 yeah. a lot he's a yeah. lot punk he's a lot yes. of emo stuff too we met so, at Celebration a couple years ago Good yeah guy. perfect it was definitely him so I I I don't remember if the musical element was in the initial outlines mm-hmm. I know it was like later on where I figured out that was the emotional thing that was missing um and I, I, for me, it was it just seems so obvious, like like as a one to one, because the name of it was like almost one letter off, right. like it was just a P instead of a G. Um, but I was just trying to think of what in the universe, in the Star Wars universe, could be an amplifier, and how would it sound? And then from there, Story Group helped me with a lot of existing instruments, um, an existing species that would be the most interesting to play some of them. Right. But from there. I can actually tell you, like, the bands I was thinking of, too. Like, I was thinking of very specific types of... So, that, uh, in particular, I was thinking of a lot of, like, the music that Reeves' band used to play and then some of the newer ones. I was thinking of, like, Swedish hardcore, like, Refused, Raised Fist, like 100%. that, like, just political, heavy, super, super fast stuff. Um, I was thinking a lot of like early LA hardcore black flag say, circle there's jerks. There's Kennedy's thrown in there. There's yes, there's there's, and so I was writing from very specific places with that hope that I know that you get to is there's. I just want one person to get what I'm doing, yeah. and I knew people would read this and be like, oh, it's just an original Star Wars thing, and have no idea what it was referencing. But like you know, having stage dives, having the the, the you know that communal experience of at a punk rock show where the power comes from the audience screaming these lyrics back to these singers and. And, you know, like you, I grew up in punk rock in um, Southern California. You know, I think of the Showcase Theater in Corona. I think of the Roxy, the Whiskey, all these places I went to as a teenager and was just like you, so thankful someone said, you're weird, come to where all the weirdos are, which was my older sister. My older sister was giving me old punk rock tapes and old new wave stuff and a lot of like heavy metal. I'm like, I think you need this. But then meeting those other kids in middle grade and being like, wait, you're one of us, too. Um, and those, it saved my life. Full stop. Same. 
full of, I would not be here if it was if it had not been underground punk rock and underground hardcore. Um, you know, I'm still straight edge. Like I picked up straight edge after teenage alcoholism. I was gonna say okay, so I I did see a picture from yeah. your website and I saw the X's and I was like, yeah. oh, okay, Mark, straight edge. Yeah, I'm down. Like it's, I mean, I'm not, but yeah, right. good for but, you. Like that's how much punk rock and hardcore. So I mean, you you can't see right now, but if you do see a photo, I do have the X's tattooed on my hand. I actually, fun joke, and what you'll understand is. You know, straight edge was a youth movement in punk rock, and there is a, a long-standing joke that when straight edge kids turn 21, they break edge and they start drinking. I got these on my 21st birthday because I was proud of my sobriety. Because going sober was not easy. I had such a traumatic childhood that, unsurprisingly, I turned to alcohol to comfort myself. Yeah. Um, you know, so th- this this November, <laughs> this November will be 20. To 22 years sober. Good for you. You know, and so when I say punk rock saved my life, if I had not been introduced to other kids who brought me in and were like, here's Strife, here's Minor Threat, here are all of these bands who are straight edge and they're straight edge for a reason, like I would not have found that and known that that was a thing when I got to my lowest point and was Mm -hmm. like, I think this needs to stop. And so that's my thing for, you know, you also know that straight edge bred a lot of boneheads, like some of the worst. Yeah, humans there's bands, like, like there's a lot of hyper masculinity oh, with straight edge boring. yeah a lot a lot of drock yeah yeah but for me straight edge was i need i needed something that rigid to get me out of a really really dark place and then from that have made lifetime friends i love that we're talking about this because i get to tell you in la on this tour for into the light i got to have you know a lunch with my longtime friend aubrey who is also still straight edge and we talked about, like, we have been friends 16, 17 years now. And how much those musical scenes gave us our politics, gave us our sense of community, gave us our sense of love. How to love the people we love in our lives, but also strangers. And I, I think that's the thing. If you get anything from, you know, Battle for the Arena, it's that these strangers learn to love Reed. But the hard part is she's so traumatized she doesn't see it at all. Right. She does not see it at that's, all. And that's that's that, what punk rock is. Yeah. Is you learn to love strangers. Well, I and, and talk about something that can be hyperbolic and metaphoric too yeah. for what punk rock is. We've all, for, even for people who may may not be familiar with what a concert is like, you jump in a pit, you fall down. Guess who's picking you up? Probably somebody you don't know. Yeah, that's kind of rules of the pit. You're not allowed to stay on the floor. Nobody, wa- Nobody's trying to hurt you. And if yeah. they are, they're an asshole. Excuse me, there's kids here. Um, but, you know, it's it's a, it's something so cathartic about the experience of community. With people you don't know who feel the same way, have an angst, have an anger, um, carry garbage cans around like this little beautiful little girl that we see right now just walking with a trash can for no reason. Good on you. Um, living her dream. Living her best life. And... It is that stranger that's going to pick you up, pat you on the back. Guess what? You're doing it again. You're, you're stage diving, and you have to trust in strangers yes. to be there to hold you up. And it is something, metaf- like there's this metaphor for what Reeve has in this story. She's literally fighting in a pit. Yeah. Right? And it is the people around her that she would have hoped that would be there to pick her up. But she's also, in a lot of ways, she's the Winkley early on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the thing that is so, such a struggle for her, too. If you go, when you, when you, you know, and when you, I do hope you read it, you know, you'll notice the ways in which the people around her start caring for her, which she cannot see for the forest for the trees, but people start caring for her very early in the book. Mm-hmm. And I remember, so I met this kid 
today too who was like you know oh i didn't i didn't get what was going on blah 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 you know was like talking about how surprised they were by the end of the book too um and i was like who's your favorite character and they were like well it's hard to pick from the team because even though they were mean people in the arena they were so nice to reeve outside of it and i just was sitting there and i was like you get like this kid who's maybe like nine years old gets it and understood what that meant and that aggression can be a good thing like aggression can be a good thing feeling angry can be a good thing if you're caring for the people around you and so and i don't know i just i had this moment today too where i just was like very emotional thinking about like maybe this kid is going to understand like the power of community you know i i think back to so i was uh, uh, last month i went flew out to los angeles to see my favorite punk rock band which is afi i grew up listening to afi their east bay hardcore band who now do sort of a new wavy thing yeah and they did an anniversary for sing the sorrow their biggest record and in so the, and this is what we talk about with punk rock ethos is that even in the middle of this the biggest show this band has ever played davy havoc stopped the show when he saw someone getting hurt stopped a whole production of like one of the most grand productions they've ever done to be like this person's getting hurt we don't do this right. and it's like you're in an arena they were like the forum the Inglewood the forum in Inglewood like the biggest arena they've it's ever played room. and it didn't matter in, in that moment that those politics you have the way that you care for strangers immediately kicked in and it was the mo- one of the most heartwarming things like of course this is what we do like, and, and to do something like that without incentive with no you do incentive. it because it's the right if thing anything, to do. People are probably going to complain later and be like, "Why did you stop the show?" Like, exactly. Like, and it's like, well, that's because you're maybe not from this community. You don't understand. But like, that's that's the thing when we talk about why so many of us who are, get into punk rock, it becomes a lifelong thing because it, it really teaches us. You'll go back to what you said earlier. It teaches us empathy. Right. Empathy. And and to put that in in terms of something Star Wars, I mean, Qui Gon in the Master and Apprentice novel yes. talks about yes. the choice. Why why we go towards the light. And that's something that I think can get lost on people when we talk about the communities that we're in, the, the mo- our motivations for why we do things. Like you said, for AFI, and I've seen it in a ton of shows. Yeah. Somebody's getting hurt or somebody's getting pummeled. The show stops, right? And again, there's no incentive to do the right thing. It's not like that person's going to come and give them $100 and say, hey, thanks. Just... No, you do it because it's the right thing to do. And it's very emblematic of what, to put it in Star Wars terms, what the light side is. You're not doing it because... There's an idea of I can become a force ghost. You know, there's, I mean, that's not, that's not common in Star Wars. We know that there's only and, a few of them. Looks, look what, what, look what happens with, you know, those who are on the good side of the force when they are pursuing it for means that are a little selfish or concerned with power. Look what happens. Yeah. Like, and that is one of the things that is so well done in the universe is it shows that even if you have good intentions if you're still not thinking about the greater good and the person next to you who you don't know you can easily fall down a path that is very destructive even though you're the good side like uh, i just oh god i love star wars listen <laughs> guys you need to go read we're, we're pumped we're fired up yeah. we're, we're about to go jump we're gonna go stage dive off the second floor of this thing Absolutely. and uh you gotta go read uh star wars hunters better spell for the arena i'm telling you reeve and the whole crew what happens with the music stuff, the weird, like, little name drops that I was like, oh, yeah. oh, shit, that's the... And that's... Loved it. I loved everything about this book. It was so much fun. Um, Mark, 
We could sit here and talk for we hours. Really could. We could. Listen, we could. and now a little inside baseball, guys, for everybody who's listening. Uh, Mark and I, we ended up swapping phone numbers today. We're going to talk again. Yes. All right. Well, we'll we get out. So much more music stuff we need. To talk we do. About. Maybe we'll just do a show just about music. Yeah, You'll I come on like Jam that. Transmissions with me, and we're going to talk all kinds of crazy stuff. And I'm trying to not swear because there's kids around. You guys normally, normally I let I let it fly, yeah. but I can't right now because there's little kids around. Um, and it's. And there's no incentive for me to not swear, but it's the right thing to do, yes. right? That's where we are. So, Mark, I just want to say thank you. Thanks for meeting up. Thanks for chatting. Thanks for letting everybody know what's going on behind the scenes with Reeve. Um, uh, you did have another book just come out last week, yes. Into the Light. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, 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 can, I can make the joke and say, you had like five books come out in a month. And then guess what? I literally did. Like, I had Star Wars Hunters was the beginning of March. Into Light was the end of March. And I have a Percy Jackson book I co-wrote with Rick Ryder now, May 2nd. Um, I will say, if you're into this punk rock conversation, there's a lot of punk rock in Into the Light. A lot. Where I, there are real references right. to actual bands and stuff like that. Um, again, I feel like it's the first book where I've started to actually lean into that. Because I just don't... I don't know. I, I'm running into that thing, too, where, like, young people, I'm like, I could talk about all these bands, but they don't know who it is. So I try to keep it to myself a little bit. But yeah. this one, I was like, no. I got to teach the kids. I got to teach, teach the, kids. the kids. That's why we're here. Yes. Punk Rock is for the children. Thank you for your early support of this book, for your kindness. Like, And I love... I love that I get to have this vulnerable conversation with you too, because this is what this is why you write. Like you hope that you can reach someone, someone gets the thing you're doing, and so it means it means the world to me. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again. We've been at this now for almost forty minutes, and like I said, we can we can keep going for hours. Mark, you're my new con buddy. Yes. All right. So whenever we have the chance to do something again, we got Motor City coming up in Detroit, which is in my neck of the woods in a few months. I think they do that twice a year, but for now. We're going to cut this off. There's so much more we could be talking about, but we're not. We're going to save it for another show. You know where you could find me, guys. But, Mark, where can people find you if they want to get in touch with you or if they want to buy any one of your wonderful books? Wonderful. I'm very easy. MarkOshiro.com is my website. I go by Mark Does Stuff on Instagram and Twitter. And I am thankful enough that because I'm traditionally published, you can pretty much get my books wherever they are sold, in North America at least. Awesome. Guys, go hunt down the hunter's book um read it read it for yourself then let your kids read it if you got kids because i guarantee you everybody's going to enjoy this book um but mark thanks once again we're going to wrap this up you guys you know where you can find me on all the socials at cad baines bounty you can follow the show on twitter and hive at Comlink and at jam transmissions on instagram uh be on the lookout for any future um broaxium quick takes that my son and i are doing uh, he's doing the young reader stuff i'm doing uh, high republic things speaking of which i did have a wonderful conversation earlier with charles soul that i did not record because he was buying his things selling his stuff and i got a lot of stuff signed he's wonderful i got to meet john jackson miller yesterday guys it's been a hell of a weekend capped right and it's not even over yet but I, I need to say that a highlight for me is sitting here with Mark and talking about this book and about punk rock and things that are so near and dear to our hearts. Um, I have never had a conversation like this with, with, with Star Wars as a frame. Um, so I want to say thank you again. Guys out there listening, uh, please rate and review wherever you're listening. You know, Spotify, please give me a follow on the Apple stuff. Share retweets all of that stuff really helps be a part of the community that we're trying to build with this show because everything that i do and what we have learned through punk rock is all about the community and uplifting everybody else so i cannot do it alone but until next time guys when i don't know what the hell i'm going to be talking about because 
this this is this is a, a pinnacle moment for me right now to get to talk to Mark. So I'm gonna let y'all go and uh, go enjoy the rest of C2E2. And until next time, may the force be with you.